Hey, welcome everyone. Listen, we want to welcome you from wherever you're watching today and uh, we love it that people are watching from all over the country and we've got a family church congregations meeting as we're gathering our children back already from congregations in the different places that we're represented. Big welcome to you today. Hey, if you're a part of family church and one of our congregations watching from your home or your garden today on this beautiful summer's day in England, want to give you a huge welcome. And if you've joined our journey, if you're a part of our online congregation, or just a visit today popping in to see what's going on in Family Church. We want to give you a huge welcome. Listen, all day I've had on my heart this thought that God is the God who brings hope where there seems to be hopelessness. And I just want to speak hope into your family, hope into your home, hope into that situation you may be facing right now. He is the voice of hope. You know, it says of Abraham that contrary to hope, Abraham had hope, which means sometimes when we build our hope on the things around us, it can be shallow, it can be in, uh, unstable. But when we find the hope of God based upon what God has promised he's going to do, that's when we can walk with a certain of hope and an assurance that it's all going to be okay. I love Romans 8 verse 28 says, and we know that in all things God is working for good for those who love him and accord according to his purposes. All we need to concentrate on today, guys, is loving God and knowing that we are called according to his purposes. But I just want to speak hope into your home, that situation, whatever you may be facing right now. I believe that the Bible is the voice of hope into so in into situations that has the power to turn it around. So again, a big welcome to you wherever you're joining us from today. Don't forget to get connected with the online congregation as we're gearing to, to gather again with the adults as well as the children in our different congregations. Don't forget that we're going to have a powerful online congregation. It's going to be amazing and there's connect groups and there's pastoral care within that. So stay in touch with us. Today we're finishing a series that we've been in called Commissioned. And this is a cultural message for us in Family Church. It's not just a message that does us good, we've taken a principle or a truth from God's word, but rather this is really a cultural message. This message that we're sharing on being commissioned, being a people that uh, go and outward looking, and people that want a disciple. This is who we are and who we want to be moving forwards into the season that God's got for us next. Now, we've been looking at this series, Commissioned, and it's based on Matthew 20 verses 19 to 20 where you know God says go into all the world make disciples baptizing them teaching them to obey we've been taking some time the last few weeks just to break this down into actually um, a number of three thirds three parts is what we've taken out and we've taken time to look at two thirds and we're going to uh, finalize our series together today by looking at that final uh, third which is equally as important as the other two it's been a brilliant time gathering around Around this set of statements that Jesus made. And in these statements, he encapsulates, I believe, his desire and intention for who we are to be and what we're to focus on, not just in this moment where the church is coming out of lockdown and COVID, but actually this is what Jesus said the church should be focusing on right from that first moment he said it and he gave this great commission or this great go mission to that first group of disciples. The Lord is still speaking to us today, but within these statements is encapsulated everything that he desires for us to be. 
um, especially moving forward into a, a future that I believe is going to be amazing in God. So we've had a threefold focus. We've been looking at, number one, being outward looking, that we've always been an outward looking church, but more than ever, we want to be outward looking, not just as a church when we gather, but as believers when we're scattered. We want to be looking for what God wants to do in the lives of other people. We want to be disciple making. We spent two weeks on speaking about being a disciple making church. And today I want to speak about being kingdom focused or kingdom minded. And I believe that's what comes into play in that statement that Jesus makes, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. So we've looked at the first two thirds and that was about our going and the making of disciples. We looked uh, a couple of weeks ago at the entrance level of discipleship, but we want to do really well at helping people to encounter Jesus, not religion, Jesus, to have a life that's impacted by encountering Jesus, but then help them straight away from move from experience, experiencing a conversion in their heart to becoming learners and followers of Jesus. And then we looked at the um, culture of discipleship in family church. And we had some brilliant feedback last week from people who said, we're really excited about what relational based discipleship is going to look like in family church, not just for those who are coming to faith, but to those who have been walking with Jesus for a number of years now, how they can grow, how they can deepen, how they can be challenged to fly higher in God than ever before. Now, we're committed to um, being learners who help converts to become learners. That's a good statement as we look around how we unpack Matthew 28. We want to be committed not just to be people who say we're saved, but we want to be disciples. We want to be learners who have a, an incredible commitment to help those who are following Christ become learners too. So let's look at the third part of what we've been unpacking um, in this teaching that we've been spending together. It says that we should be teaching them to obey. Often we don't focus on this because obedience isn't a, a nice word in today's society, but it is an important one in the kingdom of God. In fact, the favourite word that you should have as a believer is obedience. You know, people get uh, really carried away with loving the word grace and love and mercy. But obedience is a powerful word in the life of a person who doesn't just want to be saved and go to heaven one day, but wants to be a learner and a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, it says in this final third part that we're looking at, it says teaching them to obey everything. And this is Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to obey everything. Teaching, that means training them to obey, to walk in obedience to some things, no, to everything that I've commanded. Again, a lot of the modern church wants to walk in obedience to the bits that they like or the bits that fit into the plans they have for their life. But Jesus never said that. He said to his disciples, go into all the world, make disciples, help them to be baptized in water, to understand their death, burial and resurrection in Christ. Help them to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then don't abandon them. Don't leave them at the altar of the church. Walk with them and teach them how to obey. Not some things, but everything that I've not suggested but commanded. In that one statement, we need to read it like it's written. It doesn't say every now and then, um, see if they can be up for doing a couple of things that I suggested. Jesus never said that. He said, <clears throat> now listen to me, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. And we're going to look what's contained within the commandments in a couple of moments. And then he says, surely I am with you 
always, isn't that beautiful, to the very end of the age. Let me read you that from the Passion Translation. It says, teach them to be faithful, teach them to faithfully follow all that I've commanded you. Now, this is what God's speaking to us as followers of Jesus, that we're to be teaching other people, training, equipping other people to be able to faithfully follow in, a, in alignment with all that he has commanded. And then the Living Bible says, then teach these new disciples to obey everything I've commanded. So the word teach means to instruct and train. Moving forward, like we've said, we want a culture of discipleship in family church, which is not just doing this in the classroom, but doing this relationally, that we've got an ongoing constant of training, equipping, instructing, helping people to grow in their walk with the Lord. Now, the word obey here is the Greek word tereo, and it means to observe, to attend to carefully, to take care of, to guard and protect. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, teach people, train people, equip people to observe, attend carefully to, take care of, guard and protect the commandments or the way of living that I've given to you in my teachings. So when we look at his commandments, that can be a scary word, teaching the things that I've commanded. And sometimes we can go the other side of a cross, can't we, to the Old Testament and remember the Ten Commandments. But we need to understand something very relational in our walk with the Lord. But when Jesus says, keep the things I've commanded you, what he's basically saying to us is live a kingdom life. Live a kingdom life. You see, when you read the teachings of Jesus Christ, you see that Jesus spent his life teaching the way of his kingdom on the earth. And often the way of his kingdom was a very, very different way of living than what people had been taught growing and learning in their formative years. So to me, when I read this great commission and it says, be teaching them to obey, to guard, to protect to observe, to attend carefully the things I've commanded you. I also, when I read that, hear Jesus saying to live the life that I've taught you in my teachings to live. So when we look at kingdom life, we need to understand that kingdom life is a higher way of living. However you learn to live in the kingdoms of this world, <clears throat> Jesus comes and says, here's a higher way of living. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he was a king that brought a kingdom and he went around preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What does that even mean? It means he went around saying there's a new way of living, not in heaven, but here also, right here, right now. This is how you live a way that's a higher way of living. So when we look at the word commandment, don't be scared by that word. What Jesus is saying is live by the things and the ways I've taught you to live. Kingdom life is a higher way of living. Kingdom life is a better way of living. It treats people better than we're taught to, to treat them in the ways of this world. Kingdom life, we could call it a new way of living, but actually it's not, is it? It's an original way of living. It's an original world order, not a new world order. It's a way that God designed for us to live, to love, to, to love him, to love each other, to care for each other in a way that sticks out in a world that's very selfish and self-absorbed. See, we need to understand that the kingdom of heaven, you've heard me teach on this before, 
The kingdom of heaven isn't just in heaven. It's here right now. When we pray, let your kingdom come, we've got to break some of these old thinkings. But when we pray, thy kingdom come, that we're asking the Lord out there somewhere to appear here somewhere and help us in our moment of need. You see, the kingdom of God is among us. The kingdom of God is within us. And when you read that word kingdom come, that word come in its original translation means there's one definition that says something coming from a far off place near. But the rest of the definitions or the unpacking of that word, they say something present now manifesting or introducing itself to everyone around. See, when we pray kingdom come, we shouldn't be saying God up there somewhere, come and help me down here. We should be saying, no, wait a moment. The kingdom of God is no longer just in heaven. It's on earth and it's not in buildings. It's in people. God never built a church out of brick and rubble or cement or concrete. He built a church out of people, you and me. We're carriers of another kingdom. We have a culture alive within us, which is another kingdom, not of this world. Sometimes it can be similar, but sometimes it can be very different. You see, when we acknowledge Jesus as our king, we also acknowledge in the presence of his kingdom. It's synonymous. When you have a king, you have a kingdom. When you have a kingdom, you have a king. You can't have one without the other. Now, we have the king living in our hearts. Isn't that wonderful? On the throne of our hearts, which means his kingdom is present here, right now, on earth, in us. And what we're believing for is manifested through us. But we've got to break some of his old thinkings. But the kingdom of heaven is far, far away. Far, far away. No, it's right here. It's right now. You see, Jesus brought the kingdom to earth. The good news is he left it when he ascended. But then he told his disciples to proclaim and demonstrate it everywhere that they went. Now, if you go through the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, often he says to his disciples, go and declare the kingdom. Go and declare the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is here. It's not coming one day in heaven. It's here right now. The kingdom is alive in God's people because the king is alive in God's people. Now, think about this for a moment. You've heard me teach on this before. But the final thing that Jesus did before he ascended after his death, burial and resurrection, that's kind of important, isn't it? It's, it's, it's kind of key. The, what you would invest um, teaching your people about in the last 40 days that you're on the earth before you ascend, it's a key moment and a key teaching. What did Jesus speak of? Well, in the book of Acts, it says, and he appeared to them with um, undisputable evidence that he was alive from the dead. But then it says, and then he taught them the kingdom. For 40 days. He taught them the ways of the kingdom for 40 days. And then he said, Live for kingdom and go and tell others about the kingdom. Now, our commission is to preach a gospel that speaks about Jesus Christ on a cross, a gospel of atonement. But actually, we need to understand that when Jesus walked the earth, he didn't preach a gospel of atonement. He was the gospel of atonement. He spoke of a kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that was present now on earth. Now, with every kingdom, you have a kingdom culture. And just because you've become familiar about living in one kingdom 
doesn't mean that the way that you've lived in that kingdom matches the kingdom that you may be in now. I always remember understanding this when I was crossing over the border from Zimbabwe to Zambia, two different countries. I remember crossing at Victoria Falls across a bridge. One side of a bridge was Zimbabwe, the other side of the bridge was Zambia. And though they were joined and though they were very similar, you had to understand that when you left Zimbabwe and came into to, to Zambia, you were in a new kingdom and there was a new way of living within that country. That kingdom had its own way of doing things. And you had to live true to the grain of the kingdom that you were in. It's the same when we understand the relationship between heaven and earth, that we have a physical experience here on earth, but also we know that our lives are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We need to understand that as believers, as people who have been converted in their heart, as people who have now said we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, what we're saying is we live a different way to the people around us. We live, we think differently. We have a higher way of living. We believe different things concerning different things in this world that we're living. So to be a disciple is to be a per person who purposes that they're going to now walk in obedience, not to the life or the ways of the life that they knew, but to the ways of the kingdom of God that they're now a part of because they've been born again into it. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes there's a lot of similarities between how we live in the way that we've been raised in the worlds that we've been raised in and this kingdom that God says we're now a part of. But other times they can be completely different. You see, a disciple is somebody that decides to find out the commands of Jesus or the way that Jesus has taught us to live and then dedicates their life to walk in alignment with the new creation life, the new kingdom life that they've received in being born again. Now, we need to understand Jesus brought his kingdom to earth. That was awesome. But what's even more awesome to me is he left it here. You see, he took back the, the keys of authority that had been stolen in the transgression or the treason of Adam. And so all authority in heaven and earth now belong to Jesus Christ. But I love it, before he ascended, he said to the disciples, I give you the authority that I've taken back from the enemy. You can know the authority of God in your life, but also you need to be a citizen of the kingdom. And to me, you've heard me preach this before. The level of degree that determines the power of God coming from your life or the authority that you walk in will always be directly related to the submission of your life to the kingdom of God to which you're now a part. We want to be kingdom people. We want to be people that have uh, encountered Jesus, been born again. We want to be people who are followers of Jesus and learners of Jesus. But we also want to be people that want to live the way he taught us to live, which is kingdom life. Now, disciples, or learners as we may call them, are people who choose now daily to make what Jesus taught, the commandments of Jesus, the ways that Jesus taught for us to live, the ways that we choose to live by. Now, we'll open that up in a minute when we look at what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount on, on, in, in Matthew 5 when he, he talks about kingdom life and he brings it out so that we can see it. Now, we need to understand that sometimes, sometimes, always for believers, there can be a clash of kingdoms. 
There can be moments where you've been raised to think this way, you've been raised to respond this way, you've been raised by your parents, by peers, by schools, by colleges, by universities, by a whole bunch of voices to live and respond this way. Yet suddenly you read the teachings or the commandments of Jesus and he says, no, 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 that's not the highway of living. That's not the best way of living. I want you to forget responding like that and begin to respond like I'm teaching you to respond. A great subject would be forgiveness, wouldn't it? That's something that we've all had to handle at one point or another. That in this world so often it's theory on forgiveness is don't get angry, get even, store it up, wait your moment, everything comes around, all things come around. But then suddenly we open scripture and Jesus says you have zero reason not to forgive a person. To the level that you forgive a person will determine the level that you can experience forgiveness. That one subject, forgiveness, we know how we've been raised by the voices of the lives that we've been raised in. But suddenly a new voice cuts through the sound of the crowd and says, here's a better way of living. Now, it's how we handle that decision in that moment where two, where two kingdoms collide that can determine whether we're going to continue to grow in our discipleship or we're going to go on pause, freeze, or go through a circuit of learning things in a way that we didn't need to learn them. I want to encourage you, let's be disciples to the heart of who we are. Disciples that say, Lord, I believe your way of living. I believe, Jesus, the way that you teach to live is the best way to live. You're the originator of life. You're the one who made life. Nobody knows how to live better than you. Lord, I'm going to be in my daily life choosing your way of living. In doing that, you know what you're doing? Exactly what it says in Matthew 28 verse 20 for you to do. You're living in observance and protection of how Jesus taught you to live. So discipleship for me is very natural. It's not locked into a classroom. It teaches the ways of God and kingdom life to people that have never experienced it. But then it also encourages them to now live true to the grain of it. That's what discipleship does. Discipleship isn't just a man in a classroom saying, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. No, discipleship is a person walking alongside another person saying, hey, this is what Jesus teaches about how you should be living in that area of your life. Why don't I walk alongside you and help you to unpack why Jesus was teaching that? And that could be how you're handling your relationships, how you're handling your health, how you're handling finances. It could affect any area of your life at any moment. But to me, discipleship isn't instruction shouted from a stage. It's people walking alongside each other saying, hey, why don't I help you to know Jesus in a greater way than you've ever known him? The way that you're going to know Jesus in a greater way than you've ever known him is to know his ways. Here it comes. And to love his ways. Even when his ways make you uncomfortable or make you feel you're being untrue to how you were raised to live in the life you knew before. So what's Jesus doing in our discipleship as we walk with him? He's redefining normal. He's redefining normal. He's taking elements of the normal that we've known, like I said, from when we were born, our formative years, classrooms, um, uh, um, uh, 
fathers, parents, grandparents. Jesus is stepping in with his truth to the normals that we've known. Some parts aren't changed because we may have been raised in a godly way. But other parts, Jesus comes in and says, no, I want to redefine your normal. I want to redefine. I want to bring fresh definition to what should be normal in your life. And again, the Sermon on the Mount is an amazing moment where you may know it as the Beatitudes. It's that moment where Jesus, in one message, what an epic message, introduces so many ways of his kingdom. The Beatitudes or the attitudes that we should have, the attitudes that should be, the Beatitudes, the attitudes that should be in our life. Why? Because we have now been saved by God. We've been born again. We're we're calling ourselves followers of Jesus. It's not good enough just to call yourself something. You've got to have the nature or, or the life of that thing present and demonstrated in our worlds. And now listen to what Jesus says. I'm not even going to try and read Matthew 5. We haven't got enough time, Matthew 5 and 6. Maybe that could be some homework to you. But Jesus suddenly, in this message, begins to redefine so much of what people thought was normal, but he brings fresh definition to it and says, no, that's not how you live. This is how you live. To me, that's what the Lord is asking us to do when he says, now teach the people to obey my commandments the ways that I've taught you to live. He talks about what's blessed. He talks about being salt and light. He talks about so many in these two chapters, so many um, topics he grabs and redefines them for us. He talks about murder. He talks about adultery. He talks about revenge. Talks about dealing with your enemies, how you should now deal with those who have made themselves enemies of your life. You know, I've purposed, I've got no enemies in my life, but there are people that have made themselves enemies of me. And that's a difference because if you're carrying, you've got to have a Teflon heart, you see. You can't have enemies. There can be people who have made themselves enemies of you, but you need to walk with a heart that's just filled with God's love, forgiving, releasing people. I call that having a Teflon heart. Stuff's thrown at you. Hey, be a church leader. You'll get stuff thrown at you, but it doesn't have to stick to you. What's that? That's living a kingdom life. That's living a higher way. Jesus taught on how you to deal with your enemies. And it's completely different to how we were taught to deal with our enemies in the world and in the kingdoms that we grew up in. There isn't a place for vengeance. There's a place for forgiveness. There's releasing. There's actually the teaching of blessing your enemies. He's redefining normal. Are we going to allow the normals that we've made normal to be redefined by the normal that he says is normal? Don't ask me to say that again. That's kingdom life. It's when we suddenly allow the words of this page, this book, to come alive in who we are as we live new lives that glorify him. He continues to speak about giving. This is how the world teaches you should give. This is how you give if you're a part of my kingdom. He teaches about prayer. This is how you see the religious people pray. Hypocrites just trying to draw attention to themselves. Oh no, this is how my kingdom teaches a person to pray. He speaks about worry. Oh, in the kingdoms of this world, life equals worry. But I say if you're a part of my kingdom, not that you're um, uh, excluded from things that other people who don't know me are not excluded from, but you don't have to worry like them. 
I love it when you read through Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. He's even speaking of a different way of worrying. Isn't that cool? Don't do it. When you read through it, he says, don't worry, don't worry. The Father's got your back. Look at the birds, look at the, the fields, look at how the grass is, the beautiful grass, how the birds are cared for. Through these chapters, what is Jesus actually doing? He's teaching his commandments. But what do we mean by that? He's saying to us, hey, world, I know that you've been taught to live this way, to deal this way with situations. I tell you, there's a better way of living. I tell you, there's a better way of loving. I tell you, there's a better way of forgiving. I tell you, there's a better way of doing life. Now, if we're going to be disciples, followers of Jesus, we've got to be making sure that our lives are turning away from the grain of living that we once knew to now be true to the grain of life, which is kingdom life. Whenever you cut a bit of wood in half, this week I did some work in my garden and I cut a, a small stump down. And it's amazing when you look at the stump, you see that it's got grain. It's got grain running in it. It's a beautiful picture. Now, before we were born again, we all lived true to the grain or the flow of the life that we'd naturally been born into. But that shouldn't continue when we're born again. Now we understand that the teachings of Jesus gives us a whole new grain or flow of living that we can't afford to say, well, I've always done it this way. We need to say, no, now because I'm saved and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to live true to the grain of his kingdom because that kingdom trumps every other kingdom. And of that kingdom, I've become a citizen by new birth. <clears throat> it's a new way of living, not an emotional moment. Sometimes people hear the teachings of Jesus and <clears throat> in an emotional moment, they say, oh, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. But a week later, they're not doing it. That's not what Jesus wants. He wants a change of lifestyle. He wants us to stop living one way and start living another. Stop treating people one way and start treating them another. Beyond an emotional moment where the word or the spirit touch our life, something that's sustainable, that we carry on living true to for the rest of our days. There's a very, very funny story that always amuses me in Luke chapter 11, verses 27 to 28. And you see this moment and there's a crowd. And this really is a beautiful picture to me of somebody stirred in their emotions in a moment. And Jesus is teaching in this moment and he's actually teaching about uh, casting out demons and demonology. It's, it's quite an important subject that he's speaking of. And so he's teaching on this stuff. And all of a sudden, this woman jumps up in the crowd and uh, what she actually says would be quite inappropriate in our culture. But she jumps up and she shouts, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. Now, again, imagine the crowd. Imagine if you were standing next to her in that moment. I don't know about you. I'd want to get as far from her as I could. I'd be like separating myself from this woman. But I'm sitting next to this woman. I never knew she was going to do it. Jesus had just been teaching this incredible message on setting people free from demonic stuff. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the woman next to you jumps up both feet and shouts, blessed is the womb that bore you. Blessed is the breast that nursed you. I'd be like, yeah. You know, when the whole crowd is now looking at her, I'd be like, I'd want to be over here and looking at her too. And I love it. She was stirred in her emotions. What she was saying wasn't improper in any way. It was culturally quite a nice statement in its day, but it wouldn't work too well today if you did that in our high street. But what was she doing? 
she was stirred. All the teachings of Jesus had stirred, but in many ways they'd stroked her emotions, which meant his teachings hadn't yet gone deep enough. She was drawn in that moment to an incredible response where she didn't fear anyone around her. But listen to how Jesus responds. He didn't rebuke her. He said, yeah, yeah. Blessed rather are those who hear the word and then obey it. Wow, what a great statement. So you've got this woman in this moment that's well-meaning and in her emotions, she makes these incredible statements, blessed of a womb and the breast that nursed you. And Jesus looks at her and says, love it that you're enjoying this moment together. But actually, no, more blessed is the person who hears my words and hears them in a way that what I've said goes beyond or deeper than their emotions to a place within them, the spirit of who they are, where they then determine I'm not going to live like I once lived anymore. That's where Jesus says, yeah, there's blessed in being emotional, but more blessed are those who hear the words, hear the commandments, hear the ways that I'm teaching you to live, walk in obedience to it. What does that mean? They purpose now to live it out, to live it out. God doesn't want us to become educationally full with what he said. He wants us to be applying the word and living it out. When you see a person applying the word, that means that they've actually really heard the word in a correct way. You see, we've all got the ability to hear naturally, but that doesn't mean that you're hearing in a way that your life is affected. Jesus is saying, all right, be outward looking, make disciples, help converts to become disciples and disciples to go deeper and fly higher in me. Baptize them in water, baptize them in the Holy Spirit. But then spend the rest of your life teaching people what the Lord taught is the correct way of living and help them and support them, walk alongside them to live out the things that Jesus has taught. All right, let's bring this in for a landing today. When we do this, we're choosing transform over conform. And the plan of God is that his word and his spirit would be working so deep within us that our lives are transformed that we're no longer conformed to the way of living we once knew. But now, because of the dance between the word and the spirit that's happening within us, our lives are experiencing transformation. Now, that word transformed means metamorphic. It means supernatural, not normal change. Listen, we need to understand that the words of Jesus Christ, the teachings of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, living within us now when those two components come together boom it causes a transformation that can break normals that we once knew most of you know what verse I'm going to next right Romans 12 to me is just a beautiful picture of this and I want to end our series called commissioned by speaking of how Paul addressed the ministry of the word and the spirit causing a person to break the power of confirmations or the conformed living that they once knew to find a brand new way of life that comes through how Jesus teaches us to live, love, 
forgive and so much more. Verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves, offer your bodies now as living sacrifices. Why? Because we understand our lives are no longer our own. We were bought with a price. Offer your bodies now as a living sacrifice, holy. That's what he does, pleasing to God. Then it says this. Now listen to these verses. This is what I'm trying to summarize my thoughts with today. Do not any longer conform to the pattern of this world or the pattern of living that you once knew. Rather now be transformed by the renewing or the changing, the re-educating of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. We need to understand, okay, how do we apply what I'm teaching today? We make a decision that we're not just going to be a person that makes emotional statements, but then doesn't live any different. But rather, we're going to say, thank you, Lord, that through water baptism, my old life was gone. My new creation life came into being. Thank you, Lord, that you've baptized me and filled me with your Holy Spirit. Now I'm empowered from the inside out. But now I turn to the power of your word and I say, how this, how this teaches me to live is the way I'm going to live now. The way that Jesus teaches me to love is the way I'm going to love. The way that Jesus teaches me to treat people is the way I'm going to treat people. Do you know when you're doing that, you're actually fulfilling verse 20 of uh, Matthew 28. You're living true to everything. You're living in obedience to everything he commanded. But also what we're entering into then is very much what the Bible would call the renewing of our mind. You see, when you're born again, your spirit is saved instantly. Your mind is being saved. Your soul is being saved. How? As you allow the word or the teachings of Jesus to remove the old data and replace it with new data. When you allow the word of God to redefine what you thought was true, to rediscover or to discover what actually is true. It's like the example I've often used is that of a, of a computer. That if you were to buy a computer from someone and uh, they owned it before and they'd spent years entering data into that computer, you may own that computer now because you paid the price they wanted for it. The problem is the information of the former owner is still on the database. So the best thing that you can do is replace the information on the database with new information, deleting the information that was wrong or incorrect with some files you may be able to use that cross over. But there will be files on that computer that represent the person that once owned it, not the person that now does. So what do you do when you get a computer? You delete off of the computer, the hard drive, all of the old files and you put new files in place that determine how the computer or the life is now going to run correctly in a way that you believe it should. That's what happens when we spend a life just submitted to the Holy Spirit, 
Um, not just reading our favourite bits in the Bible, but saying, come on, Jesus, teach me about how I forgive. Come on, Jesus, teach me how I should handle my money. Come on, Jesus, teach me about how I should trust you and not lean on the arm of my own understanding. Come on, Jesus, teach me how to bless somebody when they seem so unblessable. Come on, Jesus, teach me, teach me, teach me. Do you know what you're doing? You're removing and replacing old data from the hard drive of your life, your soul, your mind your memories and you're putting new God doesn't want you to be a blank disc walking around I'm a Christian I'm a Christian he wants you to have new and life-changing information on the hard disc of your life and as you do that's where you'll no longer conform to the way of living that you once knew but rather like the Bible promises you'll be transformed supernaturally changed from the inside out never to be the same again we understand that the mind can actually be like it's been taught for many years a battlefield where suddenly you've got a collision between the ways you were taught to live growing up by those who had an influence over your life and then suddenly you've got the ways of God that are perfect holy and the best possible way for you to live beyond anything you ever imagined. On that moment, on that battlefield of our mind, we need to make sure that what's coming from God, the way that he's taught us to live, overcomes any previous way we may have lived true to before. And that's when the victory that's contained in the word will break out in our daily lives. I hope you've enjoyed that. This has been a really, really good series spent with you and I believe a very important one because like I've said, it's very cultural. As family church, whether that's our physical congregations or our online congregations, now move in to the next of this unprecedented moment. We're not confused. We're not dismayed. We're not hopeless. We've got a vision from God that we're going to be outward looking, disciple making and teaching and encouraging each other to live true to kingdom life more than we ever have before. And in that, I believe that God will be glorified and many, many people that yet don't know him will come to know him also. Maybe you're watching today and you've never given your life to Jesus. Come on, why don't you do that right now? One prayer, one prayer. God's not looking for a religious performance. He's not looking for some sort of amazing performance of you weeping on your floor. He's looking for a turn of heart. He's looking for a heart that says, God, I need you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if that's you today, I'm going to pray amen at the end. If you say amen with me, whether you've been away from God and you're coming back today, or whether you've never known him and you're giving your life, surrendering your life to him for the first time, I promise you, if you will listen to the things I've said today, your life will change beyond anything you'll ever recognise. This is real. God changes lives. Come on, let's pray. Father, I thank you that Jesus died on a cross for me and as me. He took the old me to the cross, killed it, buried it, that I could experience a resurrection life in this life. Thank you for new birth. Thank you that you forgive my sins. Thank you, Lord, that your blood shed on a cross cancelled every debt over my life, that you bore my punishment as you bore my judgment, that I could bear now the inheritance of being a child of God, someone brought from separation into your family. 
I believe in you, Jesus. I receive you today. Come and fill me up, Holy Spirit. Come baptize me with heaven's life and power, I pray. Amen. Amen. Just say amen. If you prayed that prayer today, say amen. Send me an email, andy at family.church. I'd love to know that you've prayed that prayer and if there's anything we can do to help you walk on. So we're going to be back here next week for another online service. Remember, keep watching the websites as things begin to change with us meeting together, gathering. We'll let you know as soon as we know. But one thing I do know that God has gone ahead of us in whatever's to come and he's declaring over us. It's a great season and we're going to win. But all things work together for good. All things, not some things, for those who love him and know they're called according to his purposes. God bless you.